Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Creation Today Theology series, post-January 20th, 2017, titled, Evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus. For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. The Resurrection of Jesus. I don't know a lot about the most important event in history. Easy to believe if you already believe. If not, well, let's see. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. So far, my channel has been primarily focused on the science of young earth creationism from creation today, leaving biblical claims for some future date. But for a fourth video in a row now, I'm allowing Eric Hoven's social media posts to disrupt my schedule. A webinar on the resurrection. This is Eric Hoven from Creation Today. I'm so glad you guys are joining me tonight. I did invite a lot of atheists to this event because I hear a lot of arguments from atheists, and I thought, what, what better way to address many of their concerns than to actually invite them on, let them ask questions? I couldn't turn down a general atheist cattle call invitation from Eric discussing a topic that holds significant personal interest and history for me. So I signed up and joined the group. Uh, PE, Side Strike, and any other skeptics or non-believers that are watching this, again, thank you. I'm humbled that you would come and, and be willing to engage and even have this conversation and listen. Apparently when I signed up, I was lazy and simply used my initials, PE, as my username, which I didn't ever suspect would become an interactive screen name. So whenever you hear PE in this video, they're referring to comments from me. You likely also recognize the name Side Strike. He runs a fun and informative channel here on YouTube, which came to my attention last year with his series on the anti-science of Ken Ham, Eric Hoven's Creation Minutes, and other pseudoscience. All right, Size Strike on the chat. Size Strike says, throw one out there for Size Strike. Damn it, Eric. I told you to stop saying my- Size Strike, where do you come from? I was just telling everyone about the webinar Eric invited us to. Huh, you think I was invited to that thing? Whenever Eric Hoven says my channel name three times, I magically appear. Like Beetlejuice? Exactly like Beetlejuice. I'm sorry, I didn't know. A little more careful with the editing next time, genius. And you better at least link to my channel in the description. Done. Sorry, man. Now I want to address something up front so that I can get this bad taste out of my mouth before exploring the actual claims presented. The entire hour-long webinar was a transparent attempt to sell Eric and Tim's new DVD set about the resurrection. There were attempts throughout to make the 87% of the audience who are Christians feel guilty about their lack of enthusiasm, knowledge, and ability to defend the claimed resurrection of Jesus, and offering to absolve that guilt with a simple $89 DVD purchase. We ended up producing a brand new DVD study series called Risen Without a Doubt, because I know we covered over a dozen of them in the, the Risen series. We did cover those in the, in the Risen series. I mean, literally, this is you sitting down teaching me the resurrection. I'm kind of proud. Graphic designer Katie did a great job on this. This is a cool series. And before I give these wonderful individuals that are watching this an extremely cool opportunity, write a book about it, come down here and do a DVD series on it so people can know more of the, the history. And I love the way you laid out every session. It was just fantastic. Risen Without a Doubt. And we're making it available for just $89. I want you to click that, that button where you can add that to your cart. Check that out. Get it. Again, it's over $200 in value. And we're making it available for just $89. I want you to take advantage of that. I think it's critical we study the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't taken advantage of it before we close here, I want you to click on that link because that link uh, that I put up will get you access to the thumb drive that we're making available on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's got over $200 worth of resources. We're making it available for just $89. Well, it was tough to not feel like a prop. 
It was a goal of mine to show the Christians in the room that atheists can be calm and respectful while raising good questions. After all, it is my hope that you, the person watching this, is in fact a Christian seeking truth. Sci-Strike obviously had the same goal, and it seems we succeeded. But I gotta tell you. Honestly, if every single one of these arguments, once it was debunked, was never allowed to be brought up again, there would be no arguments against the resurrection of Christ. It was extremely difficult to hold my tongue when Eric said that. I really wanted to accept his terms on the spot if he would agree to never again bring up any science claim that has been debunked. I think the world would come out far ahead in that deal. If you've been watching my videos, you've probably picked up on my goal to systematically reveal the dishonesty of creationists who deliberately misrepresent or misunderstand science, flagrantly breaking the ninth commandment in an effort to uphold their creation model. That's the problem is he's, he's telling people information that is simply not true. But today will not be one of those. I feel like guest speaker Tim Chafee was relatively forthcoming with the obvious evidentiary weaknesses of his own arguments, and I'll point some of those out. Rather, let's take a look at the seminar's evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, some of my live reactions from the seminar, and why I do not yet find the arguments to be compelling. I'm going to jump past their prepared refutation of gospel conflicts and the influence of other dying and rising God myths, which I agree would not be compelling objections to a Christian. Instead, I wanted to head Tim off at the pass from wasting everyone's time on a William Lane Craig-style basic facts line of thinking. P.E. says this, That's me. Where the basic facts fail, for me is that they require presupposition that the Bible is true. Is that such a presupposition, uh, oh, such a presupposition wouldn't require a conversion like this? Now, the chat feature was very small to type in and to read. What I said was, such a presupposition would not require a conversation like this. If Eric and his audience already presuppose that the Bible is true, why try to further justify the resurrection of Jesus at all? If one approaches the Bible skeptically, then a discussion based solely on biblical evidence will probably be uncompelling. Is there non-textual, like I'm assuming outside of the Bible, I go, P.E., you're really hitting on the main thing. You're right. I am presupposing the Bible is true. For those who may be unfamiliar with the language being used here, a presupposition is something held to be true from the beginning without the support of evidence. Something you hold to be true just because. If something is derived from evidence, it doesn't need to be a presupposition. I am doing that. I am giving it the benefit of the doubt. I am, and, and the more I study it, the more I realize without that, without that foundation, I'm lost in a sea of nothing but I don't knows. And everything is I don't know, and it's just, well, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. I guess that's the difference in philosophies. Eric is saying that he's afraid of uncertainty and that he prefers to instead cling with certainty to an idea he cannot externally justify. When I speak to anyone about beliefs, I like to first ask that person if it's important to them that their beliefs accurately reflect reality. When the honest answer to any question is, we don't know, and a person decides instead to grab confidently to any answer in order to avoid uncertainty, it is my opinion that such a person values certainty over truth. Listen, I'm not satisfied with we don't know any more than anyone else. I hate we don't know. I'd love to know everything, but I've had to learn to live with it in order to be intellectually honest. It's actually the we don't know that inspires scientists. They have little interest in the solved problems. It's the unsolved problems that excite them. I really do have that as a presupposition. You're exactly right. So Tim, let me let you hit that and get into some of the, uh, the more evidences because these evidences come from, from the Bible. They really do. So you're exactly right on that. To paraphrase, Eric presupposes that the Bible is true, that he accepts it as a starting position without evidence. Then he confirms that the only affirmations that he will provide come from the book that he presupposes. 
It doesn't work for someone who doesn't share the same presupposition. So again, I'm not sure why one would need a seminar to convince people who already believe in the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. If you believe the Bible, that's pretty clear. Or, why would he think that passages from the Bible would convince those who don't believe the Bible? But here's the thing. A lot of times we hear this idea that there are no ancient sources that talk about Jesus. As far as the crucifixion goes, uh, we have the, the Roman historian Tacitus, who's writing uh, you know, early AD 100s. And here's what he said. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class, of, on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, that's the name for Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the, at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. I'm pretty familiar with the passage from Tacitus. Can you guess what a skeptic at a resurrection of Jesus webinar might ask about this text? Now, somebody will say, well, that's still 80 years after the events. That's true. 80 years is a long time for a story to change. Imagine if the very first time that any historian wrote about Al Capone was in 2017. And you kind of get the idea, but that's not what I'm thinking of. So to respond to uh, with a PE that, yeah, that's, Tacitus didn't attest to the resurrection. That's true. What he attested to is that Jesus was crucified. Okay, I guess that point was from me. And it's a good one, right? If we accept this text at face value, Jesus died. As far as we know, every human has or will die. So not much of an attestation. I wish I'd have had the power in this webinar to upfront grant the existence of a human man named Jesus. Because Eric and Tim seem to get sidetracked on historicity claims. As a thought experiment, I can see the case for mythical Jesus, but I don't mind granting his humanity and focusing on the supernatural claims. So sure, good to note that Tacitus is not an extra-biblical source for the resurrection, but something else caught my eye. PE is on here saying Tacitus wasn't a witness. He repeated Christian claims. The point is Tacitus was a historian. Of course he's hearing these from what other people tell him and what other people say. So, Okay, also my live point, I guess. Often when I see extra-biblical writings offered up, they are far-removed non-eyewitnesses centuries later who are reporting about Christianity the religion, not Jesus Christ the guy. Like if a scholar wrote that the Book of Mormon is said to be based on gold tablets, that's not historical affirmation of golden tablets. But while we have it fresh in our heads that Eric said that Tacitus was a historian writing about what actually happened, let's take a look at the rest of the quote after Tim stopped reading. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. Alright, so Tacitus not only does not mention the resurrection, but the man Eric regards as a fact-based historian calls Christian beliefs a superstition. If taken at face value, the Christian claim that Tacitus could verify was merely a death, and the rest he deemed to be superstition. And not just any superstition, but a mischievous one. Mischief, characterized by dishonesty and causing trouble. Appreciate it, but I don't think uh, that's a good argument against the resurrection of Christ. It certainly doesn't seem like a good argument for the resurrection. Maybe a death. I was kind of surprised that Tim went first for Tacitus when I'm used to Christians first going to the Jewish historian Josephus. Uh, Josephus does mention Jesus uh, two times, although one of the passages that a lot of Christians will cite probably was doctored at some point during the church. Um, so I don't know that we should accept every single part of it. And that's the moment when Tim ingratiated himself to me. I'm so tired of having to explain that one myself, so now I don't have to. So... No Josephus. There is no skeptical attack against the resurrection of Christ, which can even attempt to explain an empty grave 
and the eyewitnesses account. Okay, let's give it a try. The empty tomb is a big one because here's what has to happen. Even the vast majority of skeptics and critical scholars who don't believe the Bible, they don't believe the supernatural, they don't believe in the miracles in, in the Bible, they'll admit the tomb was empty. I would need a citation or examples here, as I've not come across any skeptic who concedes an empty tomb. As noted biblical scholar Bart Ehrman said when debating this very point of the empty tomb with philosopher William Lane Craig. As Bill himself knows, the fact that the majority of New Testament scholars would agree with his four points is not proof that they are right. For one thing, the majority of New Testament scholars are believers in the New Testament. That is, they're theologically committed to the text. So of course they agree on these points. I should note that the majority of historians do not agree with Bill's conclusions. Does that make those conclusions wrong? No, it simply means that his conclusions are not persuasive to most historians. For the reality is that the majority of critical scholars studying the historical Jesus today disagree with his conclusion that a historian can show that the body of Jesus emerged physically from the tomb. Bill might find that surprising, but that would be because of the context he works in, a conservative evangelical seminary. In that environment, uh, what he's propounding is what everyone believes. But it's striking that even some of his own key authorities don't agree. He quotes a number of scholars who I consider to be friends and acquaintances, and I can tell you, they don't agree with his views. Does that make him wrong? No, it simply means that his impressive recounting of scholarly opinion is slanted, lopsided, and fails to tell the real story, which is that he represents a minority opinion. Why do you think historians disagree, Tim? The way that you do history, that if you have multiple sources that are early that say something, then that's probably reliable. Well, guess what? All four gospel accounts, and I know they'll try to say, well, a couple of them come from, you know, Matthew and and Luke borrowed from Mark. Okay, fine. If you want to go that way, you still got a couple of different sources. They all say that Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. So he, that fact he should go with, but he doesn't. Once again, kudos for saving me from having to point out that Matthew and Luke are basically rewrites of Mark and therefore don't count as additional sources. And again, what remains are still biblical sources, with no outside confirmation that Joseph of Arimathea is even a historical person, let alone a tomb donor. The cup that caught his blood at the crucifixion and was entrusted to Joseph of Arimathea. The Arthur legend. I've heard this bedtime story before. Well, other than Indiana Jones, of course. Anyone else's opinions we should consider? John Dominic Crossan from the Jesus Seminar, uh, he will say that Jesus wasn't buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He, he says that um, that Jesus would have been buried in a common grave, um, that the next day nobody would have cared where he was. Why should even the soldiers care about the death and disposal of a nobody? So this is what he says about Jesus. That aligns with what I've read about Roman crucifixions of the time. These were not special rare events with only three crosses on a picturesque hillside. They happened every day in the Roman Empire with dozens of victims all later dumped in mass graves. The one place Christianity should have never been able to start, if it were false, is Jerusalem. But that's exactly where it started, because if it were false, anybody could have walked down the road and said, Peter, here's the tomb, there's the body, shut up. He didn't rise from the dead, you're lying. But what if exactly that happened? How would we know about it now? What if it was well known where the tomb was and opponents were willing to go crack it open to show Peter the wrapped up body? What if someone like the Judeans People Front was running a regular tour every single day and there were dozens of citizens of Jerusalem who took a hike to the tomb where they went inside and touched Jesus' bodies for themselves and then returned to the city to proclaim anyone who would listen what they had seen? 
How would we know there weren't these kind of objections going on? Would that have necessarily stopped Christianity from growing? Eyewitness refutations have done little to slow down 9-11 deniers, Roswell crash believers, or even Elvis's alive optimists. Such knowledge would not necessarily have disseminated in a non-social media time. It's hard enough with the internet. And why would witnesses of Jesus' body have their word taken over those claiming the much more interesting resurrection story? The earliest New Testament writings are by Paul, but he doesn't talk about a tomb or Joseph of Arimathea, only that Jesus was buried. The first mention of Joseph of Arimathea is 35 years after the fact, easily long enough to have received a new occupant for the tomb and removed the location from any kind of verifiable evidence to her. If you're asking me, the easiest and most likely explanation for the empty tomb is that there wasn't one. They'll admit that Paul converted because he thought that he had seen the risen Lord. This one I'm willing to grant you. Saul of Tarsus thought he saw something. Nowhere in the Bible does Paul claim to have seen the physical resurrected body of Jesus. Even if we take the Bible at its word, Paul saw visions only. Whether these visions were divine or psychotic or something in between, they're not evidence of a resurrection. At best, they're evidence that Paul believed he saw something. And we have lots of examples of people thinking they see something when they really don't. There's only one explanation that makes sense of any of that. They saw Jesus die and they saw him alive again. I'm not sure why there's only one explanation. We have countless examples in history of people who were mistaken about things. We have examples of people who were dishonest. We even have examples of worldwide following springing up surrounding lies, delusions, or combinations of the two. Christianity, should, if it were false, it could have never started where it did and how it did and when it did. Um, so really, the, the, the fact that the church exists today is, a, is an evidence of the resurrection. That the religion of Christianity exists is certainly one of the most tangible extra-biblical facts that one can point to. This would be one fact that no skeptic could deny. But I'm baffled how fervently believers insist that this is absolute evidence of the truth of Christianity. I specifically asked him during the seminar, is the existence of the Muslim religion evidence of the truth of Islam? Is the existence of the Mormon religion evidence of its truth? What about the existence of Scientology? Or Buddhism? And so on. Christians reject all of these, so the mere existence or even popularity of a religion cannot be used as evidence for the truth of that religion. And yet some I've met cling so tightly to this one assertion. It is the very definition of special pleading, and so obviously fails the outsider test for faith. But with time running down, we have to get to the emotional manipulation, application of guilt, and appeal to consequences portion of the evening. So Eric reached out to one of the lost. Me. Um, thinking through PE just said um, he's trying to break the cycle of the Bible being the ultimate authority, the Bible being the, the presupposition. And let me just address that real quick, PE, and let me kind of wrap up and, and make you guys what I think is a, is a really incredible offer here. Sure, the salvation of my soul can take a break to tease your incredible offer. No problem. PE, every ultimate authority has a circular argument to it. My question is, if the Bible is not your ultimate authority, what is your ultimate authority? Now, typically I hear from a skeptic, it's, it's me. I'm the ultimate authority. Maybe some say that, but far more often I hear skeptics appeal to the reality of the universe as their only authority, the existence of the universe their only presupposition, and that the degree to which something is true is the degree to which that thing aligns to the observable universe. The entire scientific method of knowledge is set up to remove any individual or group from becoming an authority. We know that individuals can be wrong, mistaken, biased, lacking information, broken, or unreliable. 
We are a social species and our strength is in conquering problems together. That's one reason that humans caring for each other gave us an evolutionary advantage. Now whatever you believe about science, a god, the resurrection of Jesus, or anything else, that's entirely up to you. But it's my hope that I will help you take a good hard look at why you believe what you believe, so that your choices are well made, well thought out, and well informed. The last thing they should be is based on anyone's authority. If I really didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, I would be doing whatever I had to do, whatever I wanted to do, to manipulate other people, to get my way. I mean, I, I would pro- I do a lot of illegal things. I'm just saying that if I didn't have this, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, that would be me. That's who I would be. And I know that. Eric, just as you appealed to me where you think I'm lost, allow me to do the same for you. Even though you say God is in your life, it feels like some of those traits may still be alive in you. Are you manipulating other people to get your way? Are you doing illegal things? Are you skewing facts to a receptive audience who wants to hear that they are smart and right so that you can sell another book or DVD? Is it possible that you already became the man you did not want to be? But in this version, with the blessing of a God you imagine who justifies your actions? Worth thinking about. To the skeptics and the friends of mine that are atheists that are here, I want to say thank you for being here and listening to the other side. We really do appreciate that. Thank you, Eric. I hope you've done the same. While you're here, please subscribe to the Paul Gia channel to make sure you keep up with all our upcoming videos. It's Friday. Is Sunday coming?